large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for uncommon purposes, and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for uncommon purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart, uncommon, rare, irreplaceable, and useful. I just want to remind you as we walk through this uh, over these next many weeks that our hope in prayer is that we are giving you some tools, some handles, whatever that right word is that it will help you. But again, I do this as a disclaimer. I won't do very many disclaimers, but I do this so you will know that we are not trying to do what only God can do. We just really try to make that a point. But we sure hope that we can give you a, a, a space for what God wants to do. The conditions are the best that we know how to make it for you. So that's what we're trying to do. Last week, we started with Blind Spot. Our slide that we had up last week, I think we've still got that, shows that location is the key to going on a trip. Our trip always is Christ-likeness, the ethos of Christ, the spontaneous reoccurring pattern of Christ-likeness in our life. That is the goal. That is the destination. But location and blind spot, and you can go back and listen to that if you didn't have a chance to listen last week. But today is built to run. But I love this statement from uh, Fritz uh, Fredrickson. I, I pr- tried to say that like 10 times quickly. He said, predicting the future is easy. The hard thing is to figure out what's actually going on now. We need help figuring out what's going on now. Often we need people looking into our lives, speaking into our lives. And just a reminder, because the two places that we do the training, go back to that other slide if you don't mind, just for a second. As we do the training, one of the things you would do is have a fan, and a fan, and then blind spot and built around to be the place where you would use that in those first two. And that is a person who loves you, but is not impressed by you, who has your best interest at heart. And again, a reminder, you won't have 20 of them. You may have five. Six, And if you're brave enough, you might expand on that to people you're not quite sure on, but you'll do it anyway. But it's really important to develop those in your life. And so much of that has to do with you as much as it does with them. Okay, just so you know. 1985, I had moved to Texarkana from Texas Instruments. I left Texas Instrument in Dallas from Louisville, Texas to go back and try to get a degree. I had not done a very good job of that over the years, uh, to be honest with you. When I left high school, I went to Arkansas, University of Arkansas for three days. I did. I, I never went to a class. I learned everything I could in those three days, and then I went back home. And, uh, but because of my some of my bad habits and addictions and things of that nature, I did not start college again until I was at Texas Instruments quite a few years later working for them and realized that if I wanted to get paid more, I had needed to have a degree. That's that really why my motivator. 
So they allowed me to have four years to go back and go get my schooling, and I wouldn't lose my seniority. So I went back to Texarkana, or I went to Texarkana, lived with my two brothers. And during the summer, I was just needing a job. So I, and I, in my background, as most of you know, is my dad owned a car business growing up as a kid. So, and both my brothers were in the car business. My brother-in-law was in the car business. So the easiest place to get a job and uh, something I was familiar with was work in a dealership. So I did. I went to work at Or Chevrolet about June of that year. And about midsummer, uh, one a beautiful sunny morning, and it was probably a little muggy yet if you're from Arkansas. You know what it's like in the summer. But beautiful day. I remember that part. I was over in the used car building. In the used car building, as you pulled up on, we were on State Line Avenue, as you pulled up to Or Chevrolet, the main campus or the main part of it, the showroom, everything, all the offices, service centers were here. And about 30 or 40 feet away on the other side was the used car lot. And I was just hanging out over there, another probably 14 salesmen on staff there. And <clears throat> this BMW pulled up <clears throat> and out stepped these two young ladies. Now, one of those young ladies who stepped out of the passenger side had a red miniskirt on, and I'm not talking about the 70s miniskirt. I'm talking about the mid-80s miniskirt, which is a little lower, just so I don't go too far with that, okay? But one thing for sure is being single uh, and agile. Uh, most of the, most, I was the youngest guy on the sales force, so I was agile, and I literally came out of that glass door at the end of that used car building, grabbed the bar, swung under the bar, landed on the asphalt like I was some kind of gymnast or something, and was the first person to greet her. Uh, and, well, both of them, I guess, but I really don't really care about the other one at that point, <laughs> even though she's a, you anyway, uh, And she said, well, I, I've come here today and asked her what she wanted. She said, well, I've come here today to, uh, to look at buying that new Corvette. And, and, I, and I said, well, okay, because the first thing that started running through my mind was, uh, yeah, that's not going to work because we don't get to drive those. There's only two of them. We only, uh, while I was there, we only had three of them, a silver one, I think it was. Then at that time, we had a blue one and a red one. Only one person even bought it the whole summer. And they were expensive, obviously, back then. It was uh, those new Corvettes. And what was unique about this Corvette was that in 1983, if it's ever a, a, on a quiz, if did you ever take, or on a Trivial Pursuit, what year did they not make Corvettes, Chevrolet Corvettes? It was 1983. 82, they made the last, the last year, though, the other body style. 83, they took the factory, remodeled it, and, or revamped it to make the new body style, which kind of is the same as it is today a little bit. I don't know if we have a picture of it up there. Uh, but it's kind of that same style. That, that, so, but in 1984, the first year they made it, they made it a crossfire injection, which was pitiful. It was sick. It was weak. 1985, they did a tomb port injection. And they did a tomb port injection, which made it unbelievable. It would top out at 163 miles an hour. It was the third fastest production car in the world. It was awesome. So they didn't allow us to drive them. <laughs> they just sat. So when she asked me about that, I knew I was in trouble because I'm thinking, my, my boss is not going to allow me to let her take her on a test drive, especially me probably, the youngest guy there. And, and so I went in and I asked, I said, Bill, and his name's Bill Munn, I said, Bill, uh, this girl out here, this young lady out here says she can buy that car. I know her dad. He's got the money. He can pay cash for it. And he looked at me and goes, Gentry, you're lying. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, I am. He goes, just go take her for a drive. Just, just go do it. 
So thank goodness he could see through it. So we backed it out of there. And, and my deal was when I took people on a test drive, even before this, when we took people on the test drive, and of course it was only her and I because there's only two seats, so her friend didn't get to go with us. I would leave out of there, turn right onto State Line Avenue because State Line Avenue was hard to really try to get onto to go the other direction. So State Line Avenue, if you don't know about Texarkana, it's split between Arkansas and Texas. Texarkana is what that is. Louisiana's thrown in there for some reason. I'm not sure why, um, but it is. And so we turn, we go right about two miles. I'd go to Spring Lake Park. Spring Lake Park's this beautiful park with, with hardwoods, big oak trees, uh, beautiful pine trees, green grass everywhere, this lake, ducks going everywhere. So I would drive to that park, and that's where I would do what we would call the walk around. We would get out of the car, and in this beautiful setting, instead of concrete and a bunch, bunch of other cars, we would do this walk around. And so that's where I went to to do that. But on this day, I thought, I I don't want to do the walk around. First off, I've never got to drive this car. That's the first thing I'm thinking. Honestly, this is, I'm not trying to sell it, honestly, at this point. I'm just thinking, I've never got to do this. And so, coming out of the backside of Spring Lake Park, coming onto the service road right next to I-30, Interstate 30, that goes from Dallas to North Little Rock, I thought, okay, that service road, the curve going out of the park was 45. I I took it at 90. And she started putting on her seatbelt, and I said to her, I said, ma'am, I said, I, you know, if, if I rolled this thing, that seatbelt's probably not even going to help you. But, but anyway, and I could tell at that point she was not happy. She was just like, okay. So we get out on the interstate. I'm headed, uh, I get up on Summerhill Road. I'm headed west to go to Kings Highway. That's where I was going to turn around and come back and let her drive it back. So that's what we did. But what I didn't know I was going to do, I really honestly did not plan. I didn't, ha- I, I didn't have a plan. Except I wanted to drive fast. We get going west on I-30, and I pop it up to about 125. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning, 9.30 in the morning. I'm going 125 miles an hour. Just get to King's Highway. I I get out, kind of walk around again. She gets in it. She drives it back. She probably goes 65. Drives it back. She leaves briefly after that. Didn't know if I'd ever see her again, if that car was going to be bought or whatever, so I just walk inside. I could tell she was not happy with me. I walk inside, and all the other salesmen, I obviously, like I said, I was the youngest one, many of them way older than me. And uh, they said, Gentry, what did you do? And I just told them what I just told you. And they said, man, you're crazy. What are you doing that for? That, that's insane. I said, well, I could have showed her how the cassette player works in an S10 Blazer. I could have showed her how electric windows work in a Caprice Classic. But this car is built to run, so run we did. It was built to run. And I take that thought today, and I've taken it into the spiritual realm for us. God has created you to run. You are built to run. You are built to be a 1985 red Corvette. But so many of you think you're a 73 Pinto station wagon, right? That's what you think you are. John 10, 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Not just any life, zoe, real life, vigor. You have come that you may have life and have it to the full, living life to the max. Right? Amen. So in our training, it is, this is the point where... <clears throat> God begins to reclaim 
and transform and redirect and unleash your full potential. To be transformed to Christ is not, and I, lo- I want you to remember, to be transformed to Christ is not to lose who you are, but to fully realize who you are. Let me say it again. To be transformed to Christ's likeness, we'll talk more about it in Walk in Front next week in, in, in the spiritual realm of this. But to be transformed to Christ is not to lose who you are, but to fully realize who you are, location. And what we want to do here is to begin to identify the talents, your history and past, your heritage. In other words, there's things that you have, you you grew up different than I did. I grew up different than you did. We have things that were given to us because of our heritage that, that, that impact us. Our spiritual gifts, our passions, our skills. We take these things and we begin to see the potential God has in all of these. Some of these, especially if you're a believer, if you're not a believer in Christ, you may not understand this, and I'm okay with it. I want you to hang in there with us. What I mean, I'm okay with it, like you're waiting for my okay. What I'm trying to say is, I understand it. You may not grasp it at this point. But there are things that you've probably already identified that God has shown you that he can use. But there may be other things you don't even know. You won't even really know the potential God has for you and the gifts and graces he has for you and how he can redeem things till you're fully all in convicted to following after him. It's the reason why we use the latter again a thousand times, right? There are things you will never know about what God can do in your life till you've trusted him till you get to the fourth rung. That's my opinion. I'm just trying to give you a visual. Until you truly trust him, you won't ever realize the true full potential. And I don't think we'll ever fully realize, as I've said also, you know, so often when we go up this ladder and we say, you know, go stand, do not stand here. Well, if any of us really knew potentially what God was going, where he was going to take us, what if that ladder just kept going and it kept getting narrow? What if it did? You'd go, no, God, I will never be able to do that because the only vision I have and the only Reference point I have is right here in my trust in following him. But if I've followed him for 30 years and I've trusted him and he's taken me through season after season after season, then what he begins to show me a little little further up, I'm going, I trust him there. But I might not trust him from here. But you'll never know. You you will never know because you were not willing to trust him to get even here. Can you imagine when God unleashes the full potential in your life that you begin to increasingly, as I said earlier, our goal is always Christ-likeness. Can you imagine that you would increasingly become more and more like Christ where wherever you are and whatever you're doing and whatever talents and skills and your unique place wherever you even work or you go play or you live, that God begins to allow you to see the world around you through his eyes. You begin to feel what he might feel if you were there.
because you're allowing him to have your senses and your skill set and, 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 your, and, your, and, your, and all, all of your senses, if you will. And what's crazy about this, over time you begin to act like him. Because he begins to work this through you. And you, more and more, you begin to want to live like that. This begins to make sense. Because a lot of times it doesn't make sense here. But as you go along, it begins to make more and more sense. And if I could plead with you this morning, I know what it sounds like I'm doing, because I am. I'm pleading with you to want to live into the fullness of what God has for you. I'm pleading with you, first off, to your benefit. Secondly, we need you to. It's mystical, it's mysterious, it's supernatural, it's all of that, it's unpredictable. It's not clean. It's ugly. The things that God's going to do in your life, it's sometimes it's going to be ugly what you have to go through. And it may not be by your choice. It may be by somebody else's force on you. But in the middle of it, God is still working. To redeem, as Ali already said, to redeem that. You can't see it right now. I am convinced we're supposed to do something with our story. And by not doing something with it, I think it is not trusting God that he could really do something with your story. I think it's a faith issue. How we go about it, how you do it, of course, is important. And that's why we have designed the whole concept behind Uncommon. And the training is try to help you figure out how to do that. But this is not one of those deals where you sit around and just wait for somebody to pick you. I believe when you sit around just waiting for somebody to pick you, somebody to come to ask you, somebody to come and do it for you. You're just passing that along to someone else to initiate. What you're doing is you're deflecting your responsibility to someone else. Because if they never ask me, that's, that's on them. You've already been picked. You're in. Now we just got to try to figure out what to do with it. You've already been picked. Quit waiting to be picked. You've been picked. You've been chosen. You're part of a holy nation. It's the reason why when what's happening in the world to our brothers and sisters of Christ, when they have pain, we should have pain. You've been picked. What we need to do now is get clarity of what that looks like. Here's a few ways, and again, there's so much behind this that I, I am hesitant to even start stepping off into it, 
But I think it's important enough to at least give you some semblance of what we're talking about. First one is this. If we begin to build this story, one is we're going to talk about your journey. I believe God is in the business of building your resume. I'm convinced God is using our past experiences, everything we've been through, as part of our story to advance the kingdom. But that resume, as I've already said, will be littered with good things. It'll be littered with bad things. It'll be littered with things we chose to do and didn't choose to do. It'll be things that were forced on us, things that circumstances we didn't have any say-so in. It'll be littered with all of it. But what we do with it is still really up to us. What if your greatest contribution and ministry ultimately flows out of your pain, your worst pain and hurt? Not out of your strengths. Oh, look at me. I can do this. I can do that. I can do. What if it flows out of the very thing that you don't want to think about? What if it flows out of the thing you wish had never happened for whatever reason, but God says it did happen? It did happen. That's okay. Not not, not that it's okay what happened, but it's okay that you come to the conclusion that it did happen. But that's not where we stop. Now when we walk this out with Christ, we begin to walk this out. It not only could benefit the kingdom, it benefits others. It now sets us free to redeem something that we thought was unredeemable. Now, I will say this. If it's a deep hurt, you can go back and listen to last week's blind spot. If you, if you kind of give some reference to that if you don't already know what I'm referring to here. How do you know when you've recovered from a hurt and you're past it? Well, one of the things I think is possible is that you begin to help someone else in that exact same area. You begin to take that particular thing because you're healed now. Now, if you still got an open wound around it, I'd say maybe back off a little bit. You may be in a recovery group, but you better not, you probably shouldn't be leading it necessarily because you've still got an open wound. And you got to be real careful spreading all that around. I'm not saying you can't, but I'd say you got to be very careful how you do that if it's still an open wound. But if it's scar, if it's healed, you very well can begin to help people in that exact same area. Because one of the greatest challenges, I think, as you become a believer in Christ, is that your mind, it's not just the things you will learn, it's the things you have to unlearn. Scripture tells us that our mind has to be renewed. So the very thing that was the most horrible thing, potentially, and again, I know I'm going back a little bit from last week, that you would never think of as redeemable and useful to others, God changes your thinking on it. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, In view of God's mercies, brother, sisters, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. That is your reasonable act of worship. But no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, morphed, by the renewing of your mind, by the changing... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Be careful, Kurt. By cha- the changing of your mind, by your mind becoming something different than it used to be, then you will know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But you need to begin to allow God to change. Sometimes the learning is great, but sometimes the unlearning is as important. 
it's a new way of thinking. Because again, forgiveness is a, it's a nature that you're born with. Unforgiveness is a supernatural nature. Supernatural nature. Supernatural. <laughs> true, un, true forgiveness. Well, you love people not because of what they have or have not done. You love people because of who you've become. That only comes from the supernatural. Other ways that you can help people, it doesn't have to be things like that, but from your experiences, I mean, I know for me, and I've, I've sat down with people before going into ministry full-time, where I left a, just a tremendous job at, at Alumax uh, in 1980, or 1992 to go into ministry full-time. I, I, we drove off and left my mom crying in, <laughs> in the front yard and, and did December 31st in 1998, uh, actually it was 97, got here in 98, uh, January 98, but drove off with her crying, knowing I was taking her grandbabies away. I, 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 I mean, there are things that we've done that I know I had to trust God on it that my experience might help somebody else. They're good things. So in the middle of all this, I think the biggest thing is it's just to remind myself, remind others when it comes to experiences, and we're going to talk about some other things here. Is it what if God's intentions towards you and I are better than we thought? What if God's intention coming out of John 10, 10, is that you really would be fully alive. I mean, really knew that. What if we could share with people that God's promise from his word and experientially is, is that he truly wants us to be alive, Zoe, with vigor and life. If we were truly convinced of that fully in our own lives, how would we articulate that to others? Well, I believe that's the offer of Christianity. And what comes along with that is pretty unbelievable. I don't know if we have the blank commonality sheet, but one of the things we do through Built to Run, and it's called the uncommon commonality sheet, <laughs> if you will, but it really tells a story of your life in, in our sense. Now, there, we know there's way more to it. It's kind of like going to a funeral and, and seeing somebody's life wrapped up in a five-minute video. You go, man, I thought my life was more than a five-minute video. Well, that's what you got, bud. Sorry. But you know what I'm saying. It's way more than that. We all know that. It's more than a five-minute video, and it's more than this sheet. We know that. But when we begin to talk about, one of the reasons I felt compelled to work on this is because I realized over the years I had taken strength finders, but it was just kind of set aside by itself. I had taken spiritual gifts. Well, it was way over here by itself. I had done love languages. Oh, it's kind of here in the middle by itself. But what I had never seen and still to this day have not is how do all those make sense together? And you begin to look at the Enneagram, if you, if you like that, 
But, but the other things that you go, sacred pathway, for instance, a sacred pathway is how you best, and, and I, I'm going to kill this, it's a Celtic term called the thin place, but, uh, but it is a, a thought that wherever we all are kind of wired in a way where there's certain places or certain ways that we either study or we're in nature or music, an enthusiast or a naturalist, where when we're within that place, somehow or another we sense the presence of God differently. And there's a list of them. There's like eight to ten of them. I can't remember the number on them. For me, mine is enthusiast. So that's the reason why you would see me on a Sunday morning or by myself or wherever. Uh, and especially if you put me on top of, uh, of, of Usury Pass Mountain on the backside with my, with my pods in and, my, and, my, and, my, and listening to Third Day. And I'm in nature and I'm listening to Third Day at the same time. There just seems to be this sense and presence that I can't explain. And the reason why I'm convinced of it is because it's happened over and over in my life. Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gift is an ability. And gifts are to be given to individual believers and each has its unique design. I'm reading this because I think it's important because I think here it gets confusing on spiritual gifts and there we could teach for a few weeks on this. So I'm trying to give you something real quick. But one of the keys to spiritual gifts, I believe, is that it imparts spiritual truth. I think there's an anointing with it. One of the most difficult things for me has been over the years, people want to have a spiritual gift that is not, God has not given to them. The spiritual gifts are given as the Holy Spirit sees fit. That's what Scripture says. So I have seen pastors who want to be prophets, who want to preach more and want to preach more, and they do good and they train and they work hard, but the reality is they don't have the anointing of prophecy. People want to be teachers. And I'm not talking about a high school teacher, which, again, you can go to school and get trained for, and those are, those are great talents that you can learn, but it's not necessarily a spiritual gift of teaching. Does that make sense? It's not necessarily that. But it is an ability that's given, I believe, revealed after you're saved. It may have had signs before that, but it's revealed much clearer afterwards. What they are not, they are not gifts. Again, like I said about teaching, spiritual gifts are not learned. They're not natural talents. They're not the fruit of the Spirit. And they're not spiritual disciplines. And all those things are important. They're, They're extremely important. But a spiritual gift is given as the Holy Spirit sees fit. But one of the things I love about spiritual gifts is once you understand it and it's affirmed by the body, which I believe is scriptural, it should be affirmed by other people in the body. Gifts then begin to help you hold to a priority that I'm going to start pouring my life into this particular direction. 
Because I, the spiritual gift, I mean, like, like for Jan, you've heard me say this before, is that Jan, when she found out in the mid-90s, when we were working on this kind of deal, um, where she, she would say to me, because, she, because so many people in our church back then, they used to sing specials. Anybody ever been in a church where they sang a special right before? It really wasn't that special, let's be honest with you, but, but, but they sang a special right before the sermon. Anybody remember that? Anyway, okay, I'm going way back. I shouldn't say that. There were some special ones. But, but whatever it was, she wasn't a teacher. Jan used to say, I don't really have anything to contribute, but I can cook and I can host. And those who know Jan know that she can do both. But when she found out that that was the gift of hospitality, it changed the directive of her life. Because now she understood, then then you pour into those specific things. Jan and I can do it together. I think I have a, mine's way down on hospitality, but I do think it's part of it. But fortunately, we can do this together. And I try to lean into opportunities. We would have more people at our house if Jan had her way. Okay, I'm the one, I'm the, I'm the one at fault there. So just so you know. Because I'm more of an introvert. I'm about 50-50 introvert, extrovert, which is not even up there, even though we talk about it. Sometimes I'm energized by people. Sometimes... I, you people suck a lot. No, just things. Yeah. No, but sometimes I'm energized by people. That's how I get back. But sometimes I just need to get away, and I can get away by myself, a long ways from people. So I'm kind of a 50-50 where some of our staff are like 25 extroverts, 75 introverts. My call to preach. All I knew when I was called to preach was I was called to preach. That's all I knew. And I began to start practicing it. I used to set Allie, and, and she was like two. Sydney was like five. Every time I would preach, I'd put them on the couch, and I'd preach my sermon to them. So I explained some things about both of them. Okay. <laughs> but I'd practice it. But most of all, I'd practice it in front of a congregation. I began to lean into it. But if you looked at my, I don't know if you have my commonality sheet, if you looked at my commonality sheet now, apostolic, leadership, and prophetic. Well, prophetic, preaching, proclaiming the word. Apostolic means I love to start new things. I get bored easy. Okay, maybe it's part of it too. But, but I love to start new things, and especially start new things that maybe have never been started before. That's just in my bin. It's not apostolic as in, you don't have to start calling me Apostle Kurt. Okay, don't do that. Apostolic, but also in leadership. And my passion along that. Sacred pathway we've already talked about. I'm going to skip around here. Uh, The five love languages. Uh, Mine is quality time and affirmation. But affirmation from a certain few. I don't need it from everybody. It's just my fans. I need them to speak truth into my life. I don't need everybody to do it, and I appreciate it, and I appreciate the encouragement. I'm not saying don't do it. We have some great encouragers here. I'm just saying I want to hear it most of all from the Lord. <laughs> but quality time, that's the reason why for me, if we're going to hang out together, not, not, not always, but my kids, put the phone down. Please put the phone down. You know, and, uh, but, but it's my bent. Okay, Jan's is service. So, uh, you know, there's certain things that... Uh, Anyway, I won't get too deep into all that, but that's something we work through. Uh, strength finders. Uh, Tom Rask, uh, you know, uh, 
at Clifton Strength Finders. Many of you know about that if you've been in the business world or even school, different places, you know about Strength Finders. Uh, I, I won't camp out there too much, but, but it explains some things. That's what I'm getting at. It start, begins to explain my life a little bit, but also it gives me some signposts to begin to lean into it a little differently. Strategic, relator, self-assurance, belief. Individualization, you would think, is about me being individual, but that's not really what that means. It means I believe in individuals. I believe that God can do it in a person's life. And that helps me. And it's really high on my strength finders when I see people's lives and believe they can. Not that they always will, but I believe God can. And you see my experiences Good and bad, you see my skills and recreation, if I've got a skill, yeah, I think I've got some. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm decent at a few things, but not great at anything, just so you know. Uh, but my scars, you see those kind of things, and it begins to build this picture of my life, and it allows me to begin to lean into what God has called me to do, but it also allows those who, Josiah used the word intimate earlier, and what we mean by intimacy is where we know people. We truly know people. Explain some things, right, as the old bad grammar would say. Explain some things. But your passion and holy discontent, this has been mine for I don't know how long. Individual influence, this is the reason why uncommon is uncommon, is that's my passion. And passion as we define it, and holy discontent as we define it, is whatever breaks God's heart. I don't know if we have that slide. Whatever breaks God's heart or makes him hangry, hangry, <laughs> angry, he puts on heart, your heart and tells you to do something about it. It's greater than enthusiasm because it's born from the deepest place of the soul, this place where we genuinely believe in the cause of God. It leads you... It leaves you no choice. It moves you. You don't move it. It is the fifth circle on compelled. It's those defining moments when God opens your eyes to needs that maybe you just maybe passed by before. But now he's grabbed your undivided attention. It's awesome when he does it as even as a couple at times. And you believe he's telling you to do something about it. Obviously, Allie's already talked about Ukraine today. And um, just the fact that we've got an opportunity to help directly on the ground there. I believe when people respond to their call with the same passion God has in making the call, ministry burst out all over the place. And like I mentioned last week, what if we looked up and there was five, seven people at renovation who had a holy discontent for basically the same thing, but they had a different gift mix. So not only, they weren't all alike. This one had, they all had the same passion, but this one can do this. This one's got this experience. And now all of a sudden you can divvy out the responsibilities. You can divvy out the ways to make it move forward. What if... Instead of just guessing, what if God's already brought them? What if it's telling us a story about who we at renovation are? So it's more than just your life. It's to raise up influence for, 
through spiritual transformation to be salt and light where they're engaged and influential. It is for us to get you out there. Yes, uncommon is. But it's also, what could we do collectively if we knew we had that information that maybe you individually can only do it this size, but maybe what if you could do it at this size if you knew the people around you already had that? Does that make sense? But how do you find that out? So glad you asked. That's what we're trying to do. See, the New Testament, spiritual maturity was never defined by doctrinal knowledge and seniority in an institution. Matter of fact, those guys got in trouble a lot in the New Testament. It was defined by the gap between understanding and obedience. If you got it, then you did it. You were considered a mature follower of Jesus. If you got it and you did it, you were considered a mature follower of Jesus. Discipleship being defined by understanding and obedience. Not attendance, and that's great. Not just doctrinal knowledge, and that's awesome. I want to have good doctrine. But God wants more than that out of me. So as we close and prepare for communion... So built to run, a couple of questions. What is it that at one time was radical in your spiritual life that is now the norm? What is it that one time seemed radical to you, that God was stretching you, God was moving you, that now you look like, well, that's, that's just normal life. It's the ethos of my life. It's the DNA of who I am. Attending church, reading the word, prayer, tithing, really tithing, not tipping. Those kind of things, you begin to lean into it or you start a ministry or you begin to step out in faith as far as a spiritual gift and leaning into it. You look up and out, I can't imagine life and not doing those things. They're just so normal to me. Remember, as we go to communion, remember what God is. Remember by faith, remember what God has done. Remember what he has given you. Remember the gift mix. Remember the things he has done. Remember how he has wired you. Remember. But the second question is what is there that currently seems radical that if you follow God's lead by faith, it would become the norm? What is God doing? What is God showing? If you took the time and you go to prayer and you step aside and you step out and you step away from all the noise and all the other things that are taking your attention, what would seem so radical right now that someday, maybe six months from now, will seem the norm? What if you just started six months ago, you knew what God was telling you to do, what would seem normal now? Remember what God has done. I think that is the enormous key to obedience is remembering. 
what he has done and is doing and is going to do. Amen. If you would prepare, Josiah and you guys can come on down as we prepare. And again, just a reminder before we go there, because I don't want to do it afterwards. We need help with a rise set up afterwards. And just appreciate that. But one last thing I just want to share with you as they come that may be of some importance to you, maybe not. That lady who came and drove that Corvette that day, well, about two months and 12 days later, we got married. And, uh, yeah, as we left, yeah, aren't you glad, Allie? You, you better be glad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, two months, 12 days. And, uh, yeah, about six months after that, we had to sell the car because we couldn't afford it. But that's beside the point. <laughs> In 1985, we had a $719 a month payment and $200 a month insurance. So $919 a month. So that kind of killed us. But most of all, it was worth the price. Because through that, God used that. Then she got pregnant with Sydney, which used that. For us to start the church, which use that. You don't know it in the moment. So often we don't know what's going on in the moment. So often we make commitments without details, right? I'm gonna ask John and Kristen just real quick before we leave, and Estevan and Kelly, just stand real quick. I'm gonna pray for you before we the next two Saturdays. These two awesome couples will be getting married. And uh, they're making significant commitments without all the details. Amen? (laughs) But as you understand it, and as you understand what he's telling you, just obey. And I've watched that in your lives, and I'm so excited to get a chance to be there too and to see it. But Lord, we come today knowing that what over these next two Saturdays these two couples uniquely and wonderfully made made in your image made with their own background and gift mix and, and, and dents and scars and wounds and all the things you have brought them together in this beautiful wonderful thing Lord and the one thing that, 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 that the church And you, Christ, that you use as this mysterious look is marriage. You you bring that together. That's how precious marriage is to you. And Lord, so we pray over John and Kristen and Estevan and Kelly as they prepare over these next few weeks and and the stresses that go with it, Lord, that they are able to release those to you. The details will work themselves out, but Lord, most of all, You have built them for this beautiful and wonderful thing to make something beautiful to glorify you. And Lord, we thank you today for these two couples. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. And as you prepare your elements, come on, give us just a second. To remember back 
that by faith you at one time thought something was so radical you could not believe you were even trying it but you did and by faith you walked it and by faith it now seems so normal to your life you could never imagine without it Lord just thank the Lord for that now remembrance but Lord if you help us stir a little bit about what you may be showing us now that you're calling us by faith to walk out we want to be found faithful but Lord one way we want to do that today is obviously we don't make a mockery of coming to your table but we come today in remembrance of what you have done for us on the cross to give us life and to life abundantly. And we thank you for that today. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you would now take the bread and eat to your soul's comfort. blood that was shed for us to his glory and remembrance of him I drink Lord help us live into all that you've called us to do we love you Lord thank you for what you've done and the stirring that's in us now to do what you're calling us to do. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, sign in, we're going to lead us out of here, the song. But thank you again for being here today. God bless you, and go have an uncommon week in his name. Blessings.